0: Well, good morning, church, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church. Those of who are attending <clears throat> in person probably received a bulletin and they know what the activities of the week are, but for those of you who are uh, watching online with us, let me remind you that uh, our activities are back to normal, and that includes uh, the youth ministries tonight at... Uh, at 6 o'clock. The ladies meet on Tuesday at 9.30. Awana's here on Wednesday. And today we have Children's Church, both classes. For those of you who want to follow with me, I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. And after that we'll pray together, then we'll sing together. So I think those are the some of the things to highlight, but more importantly, next week we have our co- annual congregational meeting. And at that meeting we uh, approve a budget for the year, approve a, uh, a missionary budget for the, for the coming year. And uh, any other, I don't think there's any other activities or any other items on the agenda, but uh, uh, that's, I want to encourage everyone to, uh, to sign up as well as uh, to attend, those of you who are members. If you want to become a member, there's still time between now and uh, uh, the next week's meeting for you to actually be a member and then, then to be able to vote, okay? I think that's all the announcements that we have. If not, you can read along with me as we go to Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Mighty good advice. Why don't you bow your heads with me? We'll pray together, sing together, and then have the word preached to us. Father, we we do come right now to begin our day here in our congregation praying to you, Lord, that you would guide us, direct us, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, open our minds to the word as we sing it and as it's preached today, Lord. Pray, Father, for those who are here today, that you would bless those in attendance and bless those who are attending online and can't be with us in person. We know that the scripture likes us, calls us to gather together in person so that we can worship together and fellowship together. We know that there are times when people are sick and traveling in a and not able to be here. So we pray for those also, for your safety upon them, and we pray for your blessing upon our, our church. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Would you stand with us, church, for the time of worship? Come, thou fountain, of every blessing. Fixed upon it Mount of Irene inside There's nothing that a God can't do. There's not a mountain that He can move. Oh, praise I see you shaking your head in disgrace I can read the disappointment written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear saying who do you think you are Looks like you're on your own front Grace could never reach that far. But in the shadow of that shame, be down by all the plane. I hear you call my name, saying it's not over with my heart, sorry. out on the street Crazy. was part of you and me Crazy. For of thief on the cross His life was a cost We stood beneath the debt we could never afford Our sins say harmony, His mercy
2: Good morning. Good morning, y'all. Get comfy because I forgot my watch and I remembered my tie. You may go. I'm just kidding. We won't go long today. Uh, one thing that we're going to do. Uh, Steve mentioned a congregational meeting this next week. Children, just hold hold tight for a second. Um, just one detail, and that is, you do not have to RSVP for the meeting. Everyone is welcome. Only members can vote. But anybody who wants a sandwich, anybody who wants a sandwich needs to sign these papers. Okay, and tell me how many sandwiches you want, and if you're deathly allergic to anything, you know, like long sermons or whatever, you know, <laughs> let me know on this piece of paper. All right? So children, you guys can go on ahead and go on a Children's Church. I knew that Kaylee would want to help me with this. That's why I didn't dismiss them earlier. All right. So make sure you sign up for a sandwich, or don't complain to me you didn't get one. All right? Actually, don't complain to me either way. Complain to somebody else. All right? Okay? All right. It's good. I love you All, all right. We're going to be here in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, taking another uh, morning and studying this great book. Uh, we've been, I was commenting to Priscilla the other, other night that it is, it is uh, important, right, that we, we take our time even to this part. Thessalonians, First Thessalonians has one of the longest, really the, I guess it's a salutation. You know, Paul just spends a long, long time talking about how awesome the Thessalonians are. That's what he does. And how important their work is. And I, I feel like that's unique enough that we need to spend some more, more time in it. So if you do have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen, I, I think. Brennan, am I right? Did I overpromise and underdeliver, or is it going to be it's going to be on there? Okay. I try not to overpromise and underdeliver as much as possible. But when we've been talking about this in, in 1 Thessalonians, we've been talking about something that's not a normal I guess it's not a normal Bible term, it's not a normal theological term, it's simply Josh's redneck explanation of what Paul is talking about, and that is that we're talking about pattern integrity, right? Uh, That Paul, Silas, and Timothy had come for a relatively short amount of time to Thessalonica, they had spent a relatively short amount of time for the amount of doctrine and the detail of doctrine that they had gotten into, Uh, but they had become imitators of their example. The church had become an imitator of Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the point that they had copied it so well that they had become the pattern themselves. Uh, now, my, my son Micah and I, we follow a couple of different uh, Facebook groups. One of them is called Bootleg Guns. Bootleg Guns. It's, it's a lot of pictures of people who have tried to copy guns in caves in the mountains somewhere or in places where they're what we would politely, euphemistically call non-permissive environments, uh, basically where you're not allowed to have these things, and so they make copies. But one of the striking things that there's very there's varying levels. I mean, there's beer cans with rubber bands and a clothespin on them that people use to hold combustion. It's crazy. A lot of them work really well, but all of them you can look at them and you're, I know what they're trying to copy. But, uh, it's okay it's functional. It's functional. That's what people say when they see me. Well, he's functional. You know, that's not necessarily a compliment, right? I mean, it's functional. It's not necessarily pretty. It's not that great of a copy. But these guys had copied Paul, Silas, and Timothy, ultimately Jesus Christ to the point that other churches, by reputation, they could follow the pattern and get a precise result in what it was that they were supposed to be copying. Really remarkable. Really remarkable. And they, they worked faithfully. They were obedient to Christ. They loved each other. They, loved, uh, they labored in a loving way. They were optimistic following Paul's pattern. Even in the midst of persecution, they were optimistic about what Christ was doing in their local church, and in their body, and in the world. And they were, they were imparting their lives to each other. Um, and that that's that 's some work involved in that uh, it involves some effort and some particular effort following specific instructions. Now some of y'all are are Bible students, all of you all right that 's why you come to El Paso Bible. Nobody even caught that like yeah. Whatever. All of y'all are Bible students, because that's what we're doing here. We're studying the Bible. We're proclaiming what the Bible says. Um, and if people are looking for something else, you know, I don't mind if they go somewhere else, because this is what we do. All right. And you might know, you say, well, Paul's simply telling them historical facts. He's, he's telling them how they worked, how they functioned among the church. Uh, but remember that they, they, he was commending them, right? That in the midst of much opposition, these folks copied their example. He's reminding them, this is what you had imitated because you need to keep imitating it. He's reminding them of what makes them a pattern for others to follow and the importance of their reputation in the world and what is needed to continue that, that high level of pattern integrity. Now, this is why we don't, uh, probably really the only reason we don't have uh, dinosaurs running around like Jurassic Park guys. Because the DNA they start with is degraded. They can't copy it very well. That's why these things, they, their age accelerates, because they're using degraded code. They, have, they don't have good pattern integrity. Yay, because I don't really want Jurassic Park. Yeah, y'all, y'all have watched Jurassic Park, right? Right? We don't want that. It's crazy. They had their shot. I was talking to somebody about favorite dinosaurs. Oh, she's not here. I was talking about her favorite dinosaurs today. I said, I don't have any favorite dinosaurs. I it's like dead dinosaurs. Those are the, my favorite ones. I really, I've had enough things to try to eat my face off without having dinosaurs around. Pattern integrity. Saying this is what you did, right? You need to continue. You need to be consistent, in it, and that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Not really, it's not really identifying the right things to do. You, we can do that. We can gather together, and we can think, and we can bring our biblical knowledge to bear on a problem we can identify the right things to do but it is to keep doing them to replicate the pattern consistently over and over and over over many years uh, especially here in El Paso we uh, people move around a bit they move in they move out only a couple times if they move back in that's happened a couple times but to maintain that pattern consistency within a local church and maintain the reputation uh, of what we do and how we honor God in this place. Uh, th- this, is, uh, uh, this is where there's a little bit of a disconnect for people a lot of times. Uh, because in in society and our culture, right, we're told to go someplace where we can just be ourselves. Right? Have you ever been told that? Just go someplace where you're comfortable. Uh, letting it all hang out it's a very disturbing concept for me. And I think that people that are honest with what lies deep inside of them know why that's disturbing, because yeah, it's flesh in a lot of ways. They run into a disconnect. You know, it's, it's metaphorical, of course. We challenge people, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's all over social media. If you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Folks, I know what my worst is, and I wouldn't ask any of y'all to handle it, quite honestly. You wouldn't want it. It's been decades since somebody saw the deepest, darkest depths of my temper. I wouldn't ask for you to handle that. I hope I never have to handle it, ever. You know, I mean, if you're a Simpsons fan, we can, be joke, we can joke about it. You know, if you can't handle me at my diddliest, diddliest, you can't, you don't deserve me at my doodliest. right? Flanders says that. Be silly about it. We need to understand how difficult our worst really is. You know, we talk about relationships that way. You'll know when you found the one because it'll just work. Anybody married here for six decades? I think our our five decade folks are gone. Anybody? Five, six decades? Did it just work? Don't don't lie to me. I know it's a lie if you said it did. It doesn't just work. There is no human that is so compatible with you that it will just work. Can I tell you that? There is no church that you can be a part of where you can serve faithfully among other people who are serving faithfully, where it will just work. I don't get any amens when I say stuff like that. Oh, thank you. Y'all are so sweet. See? You're nice. It's okay. I don't expect it. I don't need it. But uh, you have to work. And that's because pattern integrity is important, and pattern integrity doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Sometimes I feel like people treat love like it's magic, you know, like in in Harry Potter. My my daughter and I were talking about this the other day. Every year I make a few Christmas ornaments because, you know, Christmas ornaments in children have an inverse relationship. The more Children, you have the fewer Christmas ornaments survive. So I tend to make them every year, so we kind of replace them or whatever, and I turn them on the lathe, and I made one, and I was like, look, Gracie, it's an icicle. She says, Dad, that's not an icicle. That's an elder wand. Oh, it's, it's an icicle. It looks very much. No, it's an elder wand. Watch. And she goes like this and points it at me. It's dangerous. Because that's how you know when the magic is really serious on Harry Potter, right? They point the wand harder. They make faces, but there's nothing extra coming out of the elder wand. And so, but in the church even, when we come to time to love somebody, that's how we are. Well, I feel more. I feel more towards you. Nobody can feel what you're feeling, folks. That's not good pattern integrity. It's no better than pointing the wand harder. If you're trying to love people more by feeling stronger, that's not gonna work. That's not good pattern integrity. It's work. You gotta love people harder, stronger, whatever, with more loving behavior, sacrificial behavior. We're not trying to orient our emotions differently although you do need to have self-control over your emotions it's not that it's devoid of that but that's not going to accomplish the goal it's uh, love is work it's how Jesus loved us we love because he first loved us we love him because he laid his life down for us that was his work That's how we know what it is. So that's the pattern, right? So here we have verse 9. We've gone through the first eight verses. He's calling, calling something to mind for them. He says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. That's the loving labor that they engaged in. We worked night and day, he said, so that we wouldn't be a baros, a a crushing burden to you, so that we wouldn't be an overbearing burden in your life. Now, this is the pattern that the church was following, right? This is how they maintained pattern integrity by following Paul, Silas, and Timothy's example and not becoming a baros to each other. So this is important. He said, we we labored intensely so that we wouldn't be a crushing burden to you, so that we wouldn't be a problem in your life. So that was a pattern that they were supposed to follow and that they did follow. And it has two two basic principles when we come to this burden bearing. And it's not made explicit right here, but the very common and well-known example is out of Galatians 6, where Paul says that each one is to carry his own load his small burden, his, his responsibilities. But all of us are to help each other bear our baros, our crushing burdens. In other words, everyone is supposed to work, no one is supposed to get crushed. And that was the example that Paul set in the church at Thessalonica, as well as in the church in Galatia and every other church he went to. Everyone worked, no one got crushed. Everyone exercised their capacities, their responsibilities. And no one was crushed. No one's supposed to be a freeloader, but no one's supposed to be turned into jelly either. No one's supposed to be left as a grease spot on the ground. Paul uses that word here in 1 Thessalonians. He said, we work night and day so that we wouldn't be a crushing burden to you. We're trying to support our own load. And love is a balance, of those two things in our lives as a church We're supposed to all work in the ministry of the church and your life so that no one is crushed by their burden pattern integrity is critical in this we need to be able to communicate this disciple others in the process it's a critical portion of our relationships, right? We, we need to work appropriately so that we don't impose a crushing burden on other believers, especially in the church. This comes into play in a lot of relationships, actually. Young people who are still, you know, living at home, uh, still under your, in your parents' purview and that kind of thing, you know, you need to, you need to work in your life. Whatever your work is, you need to work so that you don't ultimately bring a crushing burden onto your parents. This is a common problem (laughs) Uh, today as people are not working to their potential. And put their parents, I mean, you hear stories of people having second and third mortgages on their house so their kid can live in their basement longer. Young people, you need to not do that to your parents and you don't have to, don't do that. Uh, That's the exact opposite of how this culture worked, by the way, (laughs) normally it was reverse, that they came to support their parents. But that's not the only thing, we're not here to, uh, we're not ageist here at El Paso Bible Church, we don't put all of our problems on one generation, right? Because That's never one generation's problem. It's one of the unique weirdnesses of of society, right, that every generation complains about the one that they raised. You notice that? It gets even worse when they complain about the generation that they raised and the one that that one raised. Two generations is like the peak complaint level in life. But young people, you need to make sure that you're not putting a crushing burden on your parents. Parents, don't put crushing burdens on your children. Help them to make wise decisions, Uh, financially, especially, uh, so that they don't bear a crushing burden and then in turn becomes a crushing burden on you. And in many ways, those same things often transfer to the church. Uh, Frankly, people who are bearing crushing burdens. Crush churches. Frederick Douglass once said, if you don't know who he was, it's okay, you can look it up, but he said it's easier to raise strong children than it is to repair broken men. And that's true. That's true within the ministry of a church, um, that people who are either bearing crushing burdens, fleeing crushing burdens... Or stressed out by crushing burdens, don't function well inside of a church. And parents, you have a responsibility to help your children make wise decisions. Wives, husbands, I'm digging the hole deeper. Here we go. Right? Don't put crushing burdens on your spouse. Work hard in order not to do that, night and day if necessary. We talked at length about that in Ephesians, so I'm not going to go re-preach Ephesians 5 to you, but respond righteously and properly and obediently to Christ in your relationship with your wife or your husband. We need to work hard at those rather than crushing our spouse. We have great elders and deacons here at El Paso Bible Church, but as one of them, I'd like to say, guys, we need to make sure we're working hard at this role. Working hard at it to do it well requires a lot of effort and a lot of time. And we thank the God. We thank God for you. I thank God for you, all of you who are serving alongside in that role. But we need to work hard. Church, you need to work hard not to place a crushing burden on the elders and the deacons. It all works. Isn't that nice how it kind of works together? We're all supposed to bear each other's burdens. Each is responsible for his own load. need to minister together so that we don't do that. That's the patterned integrity that Paul is talking about here. He said, this is what they became you saw us working night and day so that we wouldn't bear be a crushing burden to you and that was what you imitated and that's the reputation that you have for all the churches that are now imitating you says you are witnesses verse 10 and so is god how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you who believe or you believers Just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that, or for the purpose that, you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, you ought to be careful before you invoke God as your witness. (laughs) God, God is your witness. He witnesses everything you do. He witnesses you from the inside and out, right? I can only say, hey, that behavior is, is wrong. I don't know what your heart is, but that behavior is wrong. God can say, I know why your behavior is wrong. It's because your heart is dark, and <laughs> you need to orient it back towards the light. You need to walk in the light as he is in the light. God can say that. Be cautious, because I've had people stand in my office and say, God is my witness. That's not what I did, <laughs> and they were lying. Don't do that. God doesn't smile on that. But Paul said it. He said, you guys witnessed our behavior. God witnessed our hearts and our behavior. And he saw this. Their behavior was observable. Wasn't hidden. He saw this, that we behave devoutly uprightly and blamelessly towards you they saw paul silas and timothy treating the church as a father would treat his own children now paul could say that paul could say that and it was a great illustration to them because fatherhood was not in the steepest of declines that we see today he could just say it was Devout, it was upright, it was blameless. It was just like a father would behave towards his own children. I would be very uncomfortable saying that to anybody today, quite honestly. And I'm not saying I'm not you fathers, but in general, in society, saying as a general illustration, a general principle, behave like a father would to his own children. That might not communicate exactly what we want to communicate. It might not communicate devoutness uprightness, blamelessness. Might not do that. We ought to compare notes, in other words. We we live in a culture where you can satisfy the government's demands on you as a father. No one will call you a deadbeat father if you just write a check every month, right? You did know that, right? Same thing, we actually have a deadbeat mother epidemic in this culture. It's not popular to say, but I'm aware of many of those, too. You know what? The government is very even-handed. As long as the mother writes a check, she can avoid being called a deadbeat. So you can treat them just like a father would treat his own children, according to the state, local, and federal government. Is that what Paul had in mind? I have, I know, I mean, I personally know people who wear it as a badge of honor that they write that check. But they let their, but I leave her alone to raise the kids. Are you kidding me? You can't just say that. Like a father would raise his own children anymore. Many fathers don't know any better. Mothers don't know any better. Because it's a generational, uh, well, they had bad pattern integrity. That's what we're talking about, right? They have had generations of examples where writing a check was the way to avoid being a deadbeat. And nobody seems to know any better. It is such an enormous train wreck as to burn down a whole civilization at present. What is Paul's assertion? This is how a father, shall we say, should treat his own children. This is how a father should treat his own children exhorting, encouraging, and imploring. Testifying, actually. I prefer that. Imploring. You might get the idea of imploring, follow an example, but testifying to your children so that they can or should and can and would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls them or you into his own kingdom and glory. Exhorting. Exhorting is a nice Christian word. It means to tell people what to do. means to tell people what to do tell people what they should do and what they should expect expect as a consequence of what they should do in doing it now if you want to find yourself on the blacklisted by the vast majority of of the people around you try to tell them what to do and tell them why they ought to do it what what is a loving exhortation that is a biblical command because to, to pursue what God wants for you in your life. What does God want for you in your life, by the way? We talked about this out of a God wants you to be happy. And I'm not going full Metal Osteen on you guys. He wants you to be happy. How are you to be made happy, makarios, blessed in your life? By being obedient. Because being obedient keeps you from sinning. And why don't we sin? Sin's bad for you. It'll kill you. The wages of sin is death. It can kill you. Don't spiritualize that. Keep your heart from beating and your lungs from breathing and your synapses from firing. First and primary application, sin is bad for you. How did Christ love us did he wait for us to respond well to his love did he wait for us to love him even though we did we wait for us to really love him with the wand you know like feel really deep no does it matter if somebody receives your exhortation well no because that's not good pattern integrity We're following Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and we're following the example of Christ. We love first. And therefore, if we see somebody doing something that they need to be exhorted against or prone to do something to be exhorted against, we love them. Fathers, if you see your sons being stupid and foolish in their lives, you must exhort them or you do not love them. Please. We are witnessing a civilization-wide conflagration of pansies that will not exhort their sons. And it doesn't stop when they turn 18. Hopefully you've done the lion's share of work by that time. You must love your children. And to love them means to exhort them. Tell them what to do. Because they need it and they want it. Actually, I had a wonderful father. But there were the, the few things that I held against him were some times where he knew what to do, knew what I should avoid, and considered me wise enough to make a good decision. Not many, a few times. It doesn't guarantee that they'll do it. But if you love your sons and your children, exhort them. Encouraging, exhorting and encouraging. When you exhort your children to the right thing to do that the Bible says to do, to be obedient to Christ, to labor lovingly to follow the pattern in the church, you will not experience 100% success rate. This is something that I struggle with personally. I don't know where it comes from, but I expect to be dang near perfect at everything that I ever take into my hand. I'm sorry, I know I'm not, but I have that expectation. Do you, some of y'all probably have that expectation. You get frustrated in the first five minutes of doing something different because you're not awesome at it. It's a real problem for me. I like to be good at things, to the point of almost a psychosis about it and neurosis about it. I like to be good at things, so shoot me. Yeah. But you're going, if you're like that, you're going to experience a failure. Yes? Right? You do, because you're not good at everything within the first five minutes first five years, first 50 years, potentially, depending on how we take this pattern integrity business. A lot of people may not be good church members until they're dang near retired. That's the third time I've said dang in a sermon. That's probably a new record. That doesn't mean you give up. If you're 65 and you just figured out what it means to follow the pattern of Christ in the local church, praise Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning that it's always worth it, no matter what age, no matter what experience level you have. But a father needs to encourage his children much earlier on, right? You did the right thing, son. You just didn't do it perfectly. You did the right thing, daughter. You just didn't do it perfectly. Carry on. Excel still more. Testifying or imploring. I I like the translation testifying. Exhorting, encouraging, testifying. I just told somebody this morning, (laughs) son, I did a lot of crazy stuff that I still haven't told my parents when I was a child. I'm scared to tell my children the things that I did that should have killed me but didn't. I could say the same things about sinful choices that I've made that should have killed me but didn't. And you know something? I'm a little bit scared sometimes to tell my sons and my daughter those things that almost killed me but didn't. Why didn't they kill me? Am I lucky? Y'all know me, I'm not lucky. I've never once got a warning when I got pulled over by El Paso's Finest, by the way. I'm not lucky. Jacob is lucky. Jacob's lucky. I'm not lucky. Why didn't those things kill me? Because <laughs> God is a merciful and great and gracious God. Now, why would I not tell my sons and my daughter, why would you not tell your sons and your daughters? Why would you not tell the... Your spiritual sons and your daughters, the people you are ministering with, and part of a local body—how the greatest examples of God's graciousness, greatness, and mercy in your life saved you from your foolish choices. I don't. Have, I mean, you, if you have a good reason, tell me. I'm not coming up with any. You need to be appropriate in how you do it, of course. Your youngest of children aren't really prepared for the full weight of your stupidity all the time, right? (laughs) Or my stupidity. But as it becomes relevant, something that you decide. And I'm going to advise you. I'm I'm not exhorting you here. Okay, I'm just advising, counseling. That it should always begin and end with something like this. I know God loves me because... Beginning and end. It needs to be clear that you're not speaking out of fear or anxiety or lack of assurance about anything. I know that God loves me. I know that he's gracious and merciful and great because of this. And end it that way as well. See, that's not a picture of fatherliness. Fatherliness you get from a sitcom or a news story? I don't think. Does it sound different than what you see embedded in every portrayal of fathers as stupid Cretans in this world? Please don't be a stupid Cretan. <laughs> don't follow the example of all the junk on TV and the media, and certainly not just the actual examples of it out there. Because that has a profound effect on how we minister as a church. That's the pattern integrity. We're supposed to follow Paul, Silas, and Timothy and Jesus' pattern explicitly in detail. Like Thessalonian church did. We're supposed to follow that example. And in order to do that, we need to comprehend how a father behaves towards his own children. Should behave towards his own children. because God is the one God is the one who calls us into his kingdom and glory if we don't there is there is a substantial cost to it and that is that we don't comprehend God's glory that's the simile that's what we're supposed to relate to within the church. That's what the pattern integrity is. We're supposed to exhort each other, encourage one another, testify to each other so that we would all walk worthy. Is it work? Do I need to start over? Is it work? It's okay. Y'all want lunch. I want lunch. I'm always a little bit calorie scarce at the end of a sermon, at the end of a Sunday morning myself. I I want lunch, but if I need to start over, I'll do what i got to do. Yes, it's work. Every relationship that you have in this life is work. It's work. It has a cost to it. You don't bat an eyelash, guys, when you go into Cabela's and you find ammo in a box, do you? Because you can't find ammo anywhere. You find the M.O. you want for under buck around. You don't bat an eyelash throwing as much work as you have put into that money at the mo. The humans around you are so much more important. The relationships are so much more important. Let's walk worthy. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for this day. Uh, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the pattern that you have laid out for us. We thank you that the pattern was instilled in observable human behavior in Paul, Silas, and Timothy so that we could see, and not just you. We thank you for it. We thank you for the truth that it contains. and We thank you that you desire these good things for us, and we thank you for the kingdom and the glory that is to come. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. stand with us, church. We'll dismiss
1: with a song. storm that surrounds me just one word the darkness has to retreat Just one touch I feel the presence of head But I can believe There's nothing that a God can not do There's not a mountain that He can move Oh, praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that a God can do There's nothing that a God can not do There's not a mountain that A name that makes a way, there's nothing that a God can't do. We're dismissed, church. Have a good Sunday.